Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemperoper in Dresden, Germany. This week, we're finishing up our discussion with Dr. François Germain on French liaison. Our text for today is Chanson Triste, one of the Duparc songs. And in addition to liaison, we also talk about what happens to those ER endings when a verb is in the future tense. One of my favorite things about doing this podcast is that often when I learn something new, immediately I have a case where it comes up in, at work. These past few weeks, liaison has been my focus not just here, but also in coaching some friends privately, the most blatant example of which came in Werther. Somehow, Werther himself seems to have more liaison than any other role I've ever looked at. Now, I'm not a native French speaker, and as Francois said last week, this is the area where there's the most leeway in discussion. So my way of cheating on my homework is that after I go through the score on my own and decide what I think will be right according to the rules, and according to my ears, I find at least two recordings and see if I'm right. Especially nowadays, when there are so many recordings available at the click of a mouse, it's an easy thing to do. But always make sure that you listen to more than one. In a case like liaison, there might be differing opinions in some instances. Notice any discrepancies between different recordings and then double check those cases on your own or make your own decision. That way, you can be sure you're not learning someone else's mistakes just because you like listening to their recording. This is true for music as well as diction. Lots of times when singers make musical mistakes, I know immediately which recording they've been listening to. No one is perfect, so don't trust any one specific recording to teach you a role, no matter how good the singer is. I'll put a link to the text for today at the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. The first thing I wanted you to hear, though, was a short bit of our interview on Ensordine last week that I just couldn't fit onto the previous episode, but I think it stands alone pretty well. There's one thing that I didn't mention yet. Using liaison makes the, the language more sophisticated in general. Mm -hmm. So if you think of um, spoken language as not having a lot of liaison, it's just because it's, it's just more casual. Mm -hmm. When we go into the realm of poetry or, or opera or art song, the language has to be more sophisticated and demands more liaison, and it sounds much more sophisticated. This being said, you have to be mindful of what kind of poetry you're dealing with. If we think of the Ravel Greek songs, which are essentially pastoral type things, uh, sung supposedly by shepherds and, and peasants, right. you will have much less liaison in there. You, would, you will want much less liaison because it will sound too sophisticated for the, whoever the narrator is. Yeah. In a case like this, which is extremely refined poetry, mm -hmm. you want to go for more. It's, in a way, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's fascinating to, to see how deep you can go and dig into that language and, and what you can do with it. Our text for today is Chanson Triste, an early Dupac song, to a text by Henri Casali under the pen name of Jean Lahore. Originally for voice and piano, it was also orchestrated in 1912. One thing you should know before listening to our interview, I had emailed Francois in a panic a few weeks ago because I had a question about a word in the future tense. So when we talk about my example, we're talking about one of Valentin's lines at the end of Faust. Chanson triste. 
Dans ton cœur dort un clair de lune, un doux clair de lune d'été. Et pour fuir la vie importune, je me noierai dans ta clarté. J'oublierai les douleurs passées, mon amour, quand tu berceras mon triste cœur et mes pensées dans le calme aimant de tes bras. Tu prendras ma tête malade, ô oh, quelquefois sur tes genoux, et lui diras une balade qui semblera parler de nous. Et dans tes yeux pleins de tristesse, dans tes yeux alors, je boirai tant de baisers et de tendresse que peut-être je guérirai. That was François Germain reading Chanson Triste. And since we started a little bit about the future tense in the last song, I thought we'd, we'd go further here because there are a lot of these future tenses in this yes. piece too. There's pretty much every possible form of the future that you can find with all the different conjugations of the different groups of verbs that we have. But I think that the most interesting one is actually in the first verse. Je me noirai dans ta clarté. I will drown in your clarity. Mm -hmm. Radiance. Brightness. Yeah, radiance, yeah. he says here. That, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and what's interesting about that is the infinitive of, of this verb is noyer. So it's... N-O-Y-E-R, mm -hmm. but when you conjugate it, when you actually use it, <laughs> that Y turns into an I-E mm -hmm. with, with all sorts of sounds that are not pronounced. But the point I want to make here is that it's very common to have a schwa. So here it's that E uh, vowel that we see in the word. Right. Uh, it's very common to have the schwa be dropped in the future. And in this case, the word is not noiré with the schwa actually pronounced. It's just noiré. And we also have j'oublierai in the second paragraph there. Yeah. Uh, and it works very much like noiré. The schwa is silent. The infinitive of the verb is oublier, mm -hmm. so er. But when you when you use it in the future tense, that e stays there, but it it just becomes silent. Yeah. And it's pronounced j'oublierai. Yeah, so we only actually say that the lowercase phonetic i. Don't try to do a j'oublierai or something like that. It's j'oublierai. Yeah. Yeah, and I know. I, because I don't know if you remember the example that you had. I do. It was a reniera. Right, so the verb renier, uh, R E N I E R, in the future, reniera, we still have that e in there, but it becomes silent. Right. So it's not reniera, it's just reniera. Yeah. And this is something, you know, this is one of, another one of those um, French spelling pronunciation rules that are probably a little bit annoying, but you have to watch out for uh, because that, they turn out to make, to, to be a mistake if, if you actually pronounce a schwa there. Yeah. Um, so beware of what looks like a schwa if you're in the future tense. It's, it's probably not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then to get back to our favorite topic yes. of liaison, we have starting, well actually in the very first line we have a really sort of odd one, right? Yeah, the, the reason why we picked this text actually is because it, it has this example in the very first uh, verse. Dans ton cœur dort un clair de lune. The T of dort is silent, and then we have a vowel. So technically, we could think that it should be dort un clair de lune, and they like the T. But, uh, no. 
<laughs> Couldn't be that easy. <laughs> it could be that easy with with words that finish in R T R D R S. We don't make the liaison in general, and there will be exceptions to that rule that you might want and have to look up. But as a general rule, there's no liaison, and you just go from your R sound to the next vowel. And again, like in terms of terminology, a lot of people will tell you you have to do the liaison to the R, which technically is not a liaison because the R is pronounced anyway. Right. But that might be an easier way to think about it. Instead of eliding, or not eliding, instead of making the liaison to the T, you make it to the R. You actually elide the T. You drop it. Exactly. And <laughs> just pronounce the R the way the way it is. So dans ton cœur, dans un clair de lune. Great. An interesting uh, word that comes to mind uh, on this topic is toujours. Mm-hmm. Always. T-O-U-J-O-U-R-S. So it's an ending in R-S. And we follow the same rule, basically, that says that we should not elide to the S of toujours. Mm-hmm. We should just pronounce the R and, and go on to the next vowel. However, there, there are a few cases where you will actually enlarge the S when toujours is followed by the word that defines it. For instance, I have a very good example in mind from the Chanson Bilitis. Et nous étions liés pour toujours ainsi. This is dans la chevelure. Yeah. And you don't say pour toujours ainsi. You say pour toujours ainsi. Because ainsi and toujours are both very strongly related. Yeah. And in this case, you will make the liaison for toujours. Forever like this. Yes, exactly. For toujours ainsi. Yeah. In general, though, if you have toujours, it won't be a liaison. There won't be a liaison. Yeah. But this is one word that you have to uh, look out for because it might play a trick on you. Or the other... um, and, and, and the same topic of, of R followed by another consonant, again, with when we have RS, no liaison except when S is actually a mark of the plural. Okay. In this case, you actually do the liaison uh, as you would for a plural word, and then those that set of rules then comes into play. Yeah. Okay. But if it's a singular word that finishes in RS, then no liaison. Exactly. And toujours, most of the time, no liaison. Yeah, or in this case, it's a um, it's a verb, so it's a verb form. Yes, and then and that. Yeah. Or, or if you had the you know the first uh, if you had je dors if it were I sleep, then it would be spelled D O R S, but you would still not use the S as a liaison because it's not a mark of the plural. Right. And you would just go with your R. Yeah, yeah. In the third verse, we actually have one that I had asked you about again. Yes. You know, this is a, a verb followed by its the direct object, yeah. And and this is I think I'm I I think it might actually fall within the rules somewhere in, in the grub book, but I'm not quite sure. But this is one liaison you do. The verb and the direct object are again very strongly related. Mm-hmm. So you do the liaison. It also, you know, it just sounds nicer. Et lui diras une balade is better than it lui dira une balade. That au just sounds not as refined. So this is this is a good example of uh, a safe liaison to make there. Yeah. 
In the last verse, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, we have we have uh, interesting case, well, two interesting cases of liaisons that are getting dropped by choice right. uh, for for the sake of you know the the beauty of the the language. Well, first of all, we have tes yeux plein de tristesse. So tes yeux, plural article followed by its noun, very straightforward liaison happens. Mm-hmm. In the second verse, we have tes yeux again. Yep. Very straightforward. We do it. Now the question is: Do we do it on tes yeux alors, or do we not do it between yeux and alors? Exactly. And Bernac and I, I, I agree with this. Recommends not to do it. Mm-hmm. This is another case of the like two identical liaisons in a row yeah. that make the text sound too. Um, I don't know. I would say liaison heavy <laughs> in a way. <laughs> The tes yeux alors, there's, there's too much of that alliteration there. It's, it's, it's not as elegant as it could be. Yeah. If we were to follow the rules faithfully, you know, we have a plural word and it's followed by a, a, something that qualifies it and it, it, sh- it could be there. Yeah. And this is a clear case of dropping the liaison by choice, not yeah. by rule. Yeah. And then in the next verse, same yeah. thing. We have tant de baisers. Et de tendresse, exactly. which is the way Bernac recommends it. But if we were to follow the rules, we have a plural noun followed by that little two-letter word "a," mm-hmm. and and normally we would actually do this liaison there. Le baiser, zé de tendresse. Yeah. In this case, it's even worse than the previous the previous one because we have zé zé. It's not only <laughs> Twice Z, but it's twice A at the same time. Yeah. And it sounds a little bit. It actually sounds a little bit silly. Yeah. It sounds like you're you're um, stuttering or something. Exactly. So to avoid that, we just we just drop that these all together. And when you sing, do you do a little lift between the two? Ton de baiser et de tendresse. This yeah, this is something. Yes, you can do that absolutely, as long as it's very light. Mm-hmm. Not really a glottal. No glottal. Yeah, we have to remember that there are no glottals in French. <laughs> say, or or very very small little lips. Uh-huh. A small little lip will be nice, just because we have, you know, we have the same sound. Exactly. On two different syllables, so you do want to have a little something there to signal that we're not just staying on the same syllable. Yeah. De baiser et de tendresse, which, you know, clarifies the text too. Yeah. I think it's also. Important to realize that sometimes the liaison obscures the the um, the text and the comprehension. If, if that's the case, and this would be the case here, tant de baisers et de tendresse would be hard to understand. Yeah. So it's it's if it's a case where the liaison actually makes things more complicated to to really understand, then you just you know probably want to drop it. Future verbs. This is something that I don't ever remember discussing in any diction class or even in French class. Although I'm pretty sure somebody probably said it, and I just don't remember. When we have a regular er ending to a verb, it's a closed e sound, so a phonetic lowercase e, as in chanter, sembler, aimer. But when it's in the future and we add those future endings, that e, that letter e, goes from a closed e to a schwa. Semblera, chantera, aimera. And while it's not from this piece, I wanted to talk a little more about that verb renier, R-E-N-I-E-R. 
This was the word from Faust that I had called Francois about. In its infinitive form, notice that the letter I is just a J-glide, Runyi. This is why I was so confused, because I assumed that in the future tense, the I would still be a J-glide. But I knew it sounded really wrong to make a J-glide do a schwa. So, rather than a J-glide, this I becomes the only vowel we pronounce in that syllable, Runyira. This is the exact same thing we run into in Chanson Triste with oublié and noyé. In both these cases, the E doesn't even get pronounced. So oublié becomes oublié and noyé becomes noiré. Remember too that RT, RD, and RS usually don't make a liaison. Because these words generally end with a consonant that is pronounced, namely R, there's no danger of two vowels coming together, so there usually isn't a necessity for a liaison. But, of the exceptions that Francois gave us, that liaison of toujours to ainsi, to the adverb that modifies it, is one of the things that came in handy this week, which is what I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. Werther also has a phrase where he says, toujours ainsi. And I was so thankful that Francois had explained this to me just before I needed to know it. Before we finished up our conversation, I wanted to ask Francois about the pronunciation of the consonants in liaison. When we have certain consonants, some of the consonants, when they, when they become a liaison, and I just said elide to you, off tape. Um, <laughs> so, it was off tape. Okay. It was off tape. Now we're on tape. <laughs> so when they do make liaison, some of them stay the same. I mean, some of the consonants, obviously, like a T, will become a T. Um, or a P okay, will so become a P, but if you have other consonants that they don't seem to sound the same. These you have to just sort of learn or go to a diction book and, you know, get used to which ones stay the same and the same and which ones don't. The ones that stay the same are N, R, T, and Z. Mm-hmm. P also, I, I would think. I think so too. And then the ones that change are D, mm -hmm. which becomes a T, uh, like, um, you know, if I'm looking at the grub here, he gives an example of un grand arbre, mm -hmm. then a F will become a V, mm -hmm. a G, and that's an interesting one because I think a lot of French people don't actually don't actually know this and don't actually do it. It sounds kind of, it sounds uh, funny, and I think it's just because it's a little bit archaic, but a G becomes a K. And I actually have, a, I have an example of this from the Vaudor, but I, this is a case where I wouldn't do it, but I do know a coach that says you have to do dans le sang que dans le fange. I said no because they're singular nouns. Or, yeah, they're singular yes. nouns. Yes. Okay, yeah, I, I think you're right, actually. That since sang is singular, you, you normally don't elide after a singular noun. Mm-hmm. Except in a few cases like nuit et jour and things like that, but these are exceptions really. Mm -hmm. uh, dans le sang et dans la fange mm -hmm. should not be elided. However, if it were to be elided, he would be right in making it into a K. It right. would be sans K. Uh, but it should not, in your particular case, it should not be elided. Okay. But the G becomes a K, which is, which is kind of funky. I, I even uh, to my ears, still to this day, I find that sounds a little bit, uh, Sounds interesting, that's it. Yeah, it sounds hard somehow mm -hmm. to my ears. 
And actually, yes. we, we didn't give any uh, any uh, examples for F, but the, I think the most famous example of it is neuf ans, nine no, years. Yes, nine years, neuf ans. That's a good example of that. Um, then we have the S that uh, turns into a Z sound. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a, a plethora of examples of, you know, yeah. because of all the articles that we have that finish with S, mm -hmm. les, des, uh, des enfants, it's, it's always going to be a Z. Okay. And uh, a little bit uh, more rare, words that finish in X. Mm -hmm. Les yeux. L yes. So we had, we had uh, some triple forms are in X, so it's it's a good one to know, and this also becomes a, a Z. Yeah. Like if if we actually did decide to go for dans tes yeux alors, <laughs> which we're not doing, uh, <laughs> it would it would be the X turns into a, a Z. Yeah. So that's I think that's a, that's actually an extra level of uh, complication with the zone is that not only do you have to think about whether that consonant will be pronounced or not, but it changes. Exactly. How will you pronounce it if you pronounce it? If you choose. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's probably like the least of your problems at that point, but you, know, <laughs> you have to know that. There's also um, a little side note to this. There are two cases where a vowel gets changed. Oh. And that doesn't happen all that much, but if you think of the word for uh, good, bon, mm -hmm. and if you have it in the masculine singular form, mm -hmm. like say, um, uh, un bon ami. So B-O-N-A-M-I. Yes, a good friend. Mm -hmm. uh, then you, first of all, you do have the liaison between the N and um, the next uh, vowel, so bon ami, but on top of that, what used to be a nasal O becomes an open O. Yeah, so so <laughs> if the word copain were behind it, how would it sound? Un bon copain. Yeah. It would be nasal O, right? Bon. Yeah. And it would be a closed O. If it's followed by a word with uh, a vowel, like uh, a very common uh, phrase in French actually is bon anniversaire, happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, which is not is not spelled B-O-N-N-E like you see it often misspelled. It's anniversaire is a ma is masculine word, so it's B-O-N. Mm -hmm. But it's not pronounced bon anniversaire or bon anniversaire. It's pronounced bon anniversaire. Which is exactly the way you pronounce the feminine version of the same word, right? Yes, it's just like bun, which is why, again, like growing up as a child, you misspell that a lot before you actually learn to spell it right. I remember <laughs> that very well. <laughs> so if you had the word mon, mon copain, or M-O-N-A-M-I. And then it would still stay mon ami. So then we keep that that dark clothes it's nasal. Only, it's only for bon okay. that this applies. And interestingly, actually, and, and not to make this more confusing, but in certain regions of France, you will hear people that uh, every time they have an O-N followed by a vowel, they actually drop the nasal and go to an open O. And you hear very often mon ami. Ooh. But this is not this is not proper uh, diction. This is actually just a regional originalism, probably, yeah. or just a little bit more casual sounding. Yeah. So it's this this little uh, side note is only for bon b o n. And the other word that has a vowel change is when you have trop, t r o p. Mm -hmm. uh, so too much. 
which is an adverb in this case. Mm -hmm. If you elide this, trop heureuse, the O opens. Oh. It's not trop heureuse, it's trop heureuse. Fascinating. That's something I really didn't know. Yeah, and this, I mean, this this becomes really finicky. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. It, it wouldn't sound terrible if you kept a close O there, but I found that was interesting because the liaison, in this case, has an impact also on vowels, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> adding an extra layer. <laughs> exactly. One more thing to um, memorize. Well, like you said, I mean, it might, it might not, it's just one of the details, but that's what we're here for. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and ultimately, when you deal with, with such refined poetry, you have to go deep into the detail. Yeah. Because that's that's where that's where the subtleties lie, and that's that's what makes uh, that's that's what's going to make a sophisticated performance and an informed performance of the text. So, just to recap quickly, the letters N, P, R, T, and Z stay phonetically the same. So an N will be phonetically transcribed as an N, and so forth. The letters that change in liaison are the D, which becomes a phonetic T, F, which voices to a phonetic V, G, which hardens to a K, and S and X, which both change to a phonetic Z. Unfortunately, we can't make any easy rules out of this to say that all the unvoiced consonants will become voiced, or vice versa, since F and S both become voiced, but a G unvoices. These are just sounds that we all need to memorize, especially those uncommon ones like F and G. And did you notice our bloopers this week? I said dans le son et dans le fange, and it's actually la fange. I read it too fast, and fange is not a word I would normally use, so I just didn't hear it quick that quickly. But thankfully, Francois read it correctly a few sentences later. And we both said elision instead of liaison a few times, although we usually caught ourselves. As I said last week, it's misused often, and it's easy to mix up when you're talking about it, so be on the lookout for that. I hope you've enjoyed our in-depth look at liaison. If you'd like to know more about François Germain, or if you have any questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please visit the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and give it a high rating so that others can find it and benefit from it. Thanks for listening. See you next week.